It's time for Wheel Nerds. And here are your hosts, Chuck and Todd. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 133. I'm Chuck. And I'm Todd. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And beer. 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 Not just beer. Beer in the youp. What? Beer into you. This episode of Wheel Nerds is brought to you by Jason, the brewmaster at Brickside Brewery in Copper Harbor, Michigan, home of really good beer and the biggest mosquitoes you've ever seen in your life. Brickside Brewery, the official Michigan watering hole for the Wheel Nerds. Mm-hmm. Seriously, if we want beer, we just go straight to Michigan. <laughs> so it's funny, I've actually been by Copper Harbor before. Okay. When I was doing the trip around Superior. If you haven't ridden a motorcycle around Lake Superior, do it. It's awesome. And stop at Brickside Brewery. Yep. Cop- Copper Harbor is one of the best bits on on the uh, Michigan side of it. That's in the UP. That's the glove, not the mitten. Um, and Copper Harbor is right on the end of the thumb of the glove. What, so, what happens if you do the shocker? Uh, I don't really know. People fall into the water. <laughs> but Cop- Copper Harbor, you can go east and you'll hit Canada. You can go west, hit Canada. You can go north, Canada. If you go south, it's Michigan. Okay. Well. Cool. It's uh, BricksideBrewery.com. Thanks for uh, sponsoring this episode of The Wheel Nerds. Mm. You can, too, for money. And beer. And beer. Well, not necessarily beer, but mostly money. Beer helps. Beer helps. Oh, man. But, you know, I mean, just in all seriousness, Jason is the first person to just, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, to just straight up donate money to us to help to help, to help the show. I think so. Everyone, you know, everyone else, we, we like do the stickers and stuff. We do have a donate button on the website to just, and it does a little code that comes to our email that says you are hobos because we are. But yeah, you can just donate to help the the cost of the show and you know help us do stuff like have this fancy microphone stand that I got out of a box in the garage mm-hmm. that was seized. We look from, almost we look almost uh professional up in here. Seized from a business that went out of business. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't a motorcycle business, was it? No, no. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Let's start with some happier things. Speaking of seizures, how about some classifieds? Now, because apparently we are the people who bring you the awful, awful three-wheeled vehicles. Well, there's a theme to most of our ads for this week, mm-hmm. and it's our love of sidecars. Mm-hmm. So first up is this CB550 with a sidecar. Oh, okay. All right. Two grand. That's a fairly reasonable price. I don't really know what to ask for this, so if you are really interested and have cash, don't be afraid to make me an offer. Mm-hmm. I built this sidecar and hung it on the side of this Craigslist CB550 a few years ago. I don't ride it much. It's fun when I do take it out. And uh, the sidecar's a coffin, which is also a Craigslist find. <laughs> Lightly used. So I guess it's suiting that it ends up offered here for sale. I could easily be convinced to sell the bike without the coffin. So whatever. does have a title and is registered. So... Only mildly haunted. You've got to, I mean, go look at the picture of this thing. It's a CB550 with a sidecar that is made from a coffin. A, yeah, a full-out real coffin. Lightly used. With a windshield. With a windshield. Because, yeah, you need that. You want to be comfy if you're riding in your coffin sidecar. Have you ever sat in a coffin? I have not sat Neither in a coffin. Neither have I. And it's intriguing, because in terms of overall design, the flippy lid 
makes a certain amount of sense for the coffin. You know, call me call me superstitious. I don't want to sit in a coffin. It's not, it's not confidence inspiring. <laughs> I don't want to sit in a coffin until the day I need so a coffin. Here's, here's the other thing: I've never been a pallbearer, but coffins seem like they'd be heavier than crap. They are heavy. Okay, they are. Well, I mean, it could. I mean, this looks. This could be like an aluminum, like a cheap coffin. Oh, okay. so it wouldn't be as heavy. The only coffins I lifted were like solid wood, mm-hmm. so they were. They're, they're heavy, heavy as fuck. Yeah. This one might not be. I'm thinking a CB550 might actually be outweighed by a coffin. Um, it definitely doesn't look. There's a certain size aerodynamic friendly, and and well, <laughs> that's sidecars, man. Let's be honest. You can't make it much worse other than putting a parachute on the back. Don't give him that idea, man. <laughs> My coffin needs a parachute. Ah. So yeah, this is a bike with coffin. Yeah, I mean. I would almost be interested in buying it without the coffin because mm-hmm. he's, he's got the rig for a That's true. Yeah, you car. could put your own car on there and, hey, yeah, there you go. It looks like it needs a new seat. Well, it's a CB550. It, they, it almost, by definition, will need a new seat. It needs a new, yeah. That's any bike of that vintage. You but, yeah, you know, get that. the bike and you've already got the sidecar rig. You can put a bathtub there and be headed, my book. Well, you know, you could, you could totally, I could, I could see convincing the spouse of this. You know, I'm going to buy the sidecar, but listen, it's going to be a totally good deal because I'm going to buy this motorcycle, which is kind of dangerous, but I'll already have the coffin. So think of all the money we will save. If anything goes wrong, just stuff me in. We're set. I mean, look at all this money we saved, honey. Wait, that could play out badly, though. Because mm-hmm. at the same time, she'll be like, aren't I the one riding in the sidecar? Yes, now sign these papers. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a trap. Not a trap. <laughs> but that's not all. That's not all? Nope, because we got this thing, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> A red Honda Z50 1969 with sidecar, $3,000. $1,000 more dollars than the asking price on the CB550. Honda Z50, blah 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 with sidecar and title. Without sidecar, $2,300. Call for more info. I do not text. This ad will be deleted when sold. This is adorable. It's adorable. It's a cute little bike. And this sidecar is made from, wait for it, a ski box. Is that? Oh, yeah, it is a ski box. That's a ski box with the top cut off. Still preferable to the coffin. Yes, probably. <laughs> we mean me. probably. Okay, yes, it's definitely preferable. <laughs> this gives me all sorts of ideas for really awful cheap sidecar rigs. Ski boxes, man. Old ski boxes. I want to buy this for so. That looks. That looks like a. That looks like a short version of the ski box I sold you. Yeah, the one you sold me is shaped like a coffin. Yeah. Hey, there you go. We can have a combine. <laughs> it's all in one. <laughs> Convenient. I want to buy this for Sophie. This is adorable. You don't want to buy that for Sophie. You want to put your daughter on that thing. Yeah, <laughs> You might as well put a coffin on the side of it. You could have your daughter on that thing. It's adorable. It's practically a coffin. It's adorable. It is adorable. Oh my gosh. It's so cute. <laughs> cute. I could sit in the sidecar. It'll be cute across the road and cute into the ditch. It'll be safe. I'll sit in the sidecar. It won't go anywhere. <laughs> That's true. It's just going in one little circle. <laughs> It'll be fine. Tiny little Z50. <laughs> 
Big old chuck. <laughs> That'll be fine. It'll be great. You just be sitting there eating an ice cream cone. <laughs> I'll just collect quarters from all the neighborhood kids, mm-hmm. give them rides. Ride a motorcycle. <laughs> Maybe you could install like one of those, uh, you know, those driver's ed brakes. That second oh, yeah, brake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Hell, to that effect, maybe I can put in a steering wheel. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking any weight, even like an extra steering wheel in the nose of that thing, it's going to go really badly. In fact, I'd be a little worried about putting my feet all the way forward. I'm not going to lie to you. I still prefer this to the coffin. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll roll with it. Yeah. It's more expensive than the coffin, though. Well, we could get it. If he's willing to sell that rig for $2,300 without the sidecar, mm-hmm. that means sidecar is 700 bucks, And we can put the sidecar on the rig with the coffin. Right. Maybe we can mm-hmm. trade him the coffin for that. Ah, interesting. Because that coffin's worth more than 700 bucks. Well, not anymore. It's got a big hole built right <laughs> on the top of it. Well, you know, some people are open. It's an open casket open, only. Open, yeah. Really yeah. open, like, like yeah. convertible well, casket. Puerto Rico, they like to pose people after death. Mm-hmm. There you go. You know, at the wake and stuff. Pose them in the sidecar. Yeah. Going, ah! Yeah. <laughs> Hands up in the air and a look of utter terror on their face. Totally cool. Yeah, I'm into it. All right. So here's a real one. This is uh, a sidecar on a Bonneville. Hmm. So it's a professionally installed sidecar on a Bonneville. Mm-hmm. Kind of looks like one of Claude's. Uh, looks a little bit. It's actually a Steve, I think. Okay. Uh, no, no, I think it's a Squire. That's a Squire. Okay. Yeah, that's why it has the Great Britain symbol on it. It's a, it's a Squire or something, something. It's the torpedo style one. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure it's bitching. I mean, you know, in terms of a pusher bike, you get a pretty good pusher bike. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice looking sidecar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I said. This is like our sidecar theme. This is this mm-hmm. one's for you. This one is actually nice for me. Yeah. I don't, really, I don't really like those triumphs that much. I mean, it'd be nice. It'd be fun to ride around on. Mm-hmm. I need a windshield because I'm old and wussy. It's got a windshield. Oh, it does have a windshield. Yeah. Oh, the only problem I can see is it's in Edmonton, which is less of a problem in the summer because then you can ride it through Jasper and Banff all the way down here. Mm-hmm. 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 It's nice. I like it. How much do they want for it? 11,000 Canadian, which is, uh, what, about uh, 20,000 American now? Oh. Give or take. Oh. <laughs> Let's do the math. <clears throat> uh, good to Canadian to real money. 9000 bucks. Okay. $9,100. Right. Uh, it's tempting, believe me. There you go. Very tempting. Then i got to get to Edmonton somehow. I'll go if to- only you knew someone with a sidecar rig already. I know, but then I'd get in this sidecar rig and constantly be like, I didn't say you had a Chuck will be here in a few minutes. <laughs> you don't have to I'm wait just going to stop on the side of the road and make dinner. And <laughs> Chuck comes up in the year old. Oh, hi, Chuck. Hi. <laughs> hey, shoot me. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> I wanted to die so bad. It was so much easier on the way up when we could take turns. <laughs> Going to tie this cable to your bike. <laughs> that might actually be a way to go somewhere far in a Euro, come to think of it. Hmm. Hot seat it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> the way back, we'll just, we'll just tow you. Ride, monkey! <laughs> go! 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 <laughs> oh, God, it's a hill on here, sir! <laughs> Uh, I can't keep up with your amazing disc brakes. <laughs> yes, yes. How do you get those HPs? 
Wow. I've heard of them. <laughs> I can hear them right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming right out of your exhaust pipe. <laughs> if only I could capture them in some sort of net. <laughs> you with your fancy fuel injection. <laughs> and your round wheels. <laughs> Convenient power. Yeah, that looks like a nice as hell bike, actually, I have to say. 22,000 kilometers. Pretty looking. It's probably pretty good driving. Mm. I wonder how the steering is. Would be my only question. I wouldn't be too surprised. I bet it's a little heavy. Yeah, steering aside, I actually wouldn't be too surprised if this thing performed about as well as the Euro. Think so? To be honest. Because remember, the, the Bonnie is essentially the same as my Thruxton. Yeah, the Thruxton has a butt-ton more power than the uh, the Ural does. But with this weight and stuff on it? I mean, well, do you think the Ural's pushing any less? Uh, I, I mean, know. the Ural, this is probably a little lighter than the Ural. The Thruxton's kind of a dog, though. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, in ter- in, you got to put it on a comparative yeah. thing here. The thing that would actually worry me most about it is kind of the lack of torque at the low end mm-hmm. when you really need it. So I don't know. Um, my my biggest worry with it, I mean, uh, having ridden a Euro, this would be head and shoulders above a Euro, I suspect. Okay. Um, I'd be worried about the suspension. I don't know what the suspension is on the back of that. And if it's anything like the Thruxton's back suspension, it's garbage. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't, I'm just going to sit on it. It's going to go. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of overall setup with some modifications to make it handle well, I think that's got some potential. It doesn't appear to have any modification to the front forks, yeah, uh, unless like, there's unless uh, it's a specialized triple tree, which could be. It looks like the stock suspension on the back. Yes, that's not going to be so good. That's going to wallow pretty well. No. Um, but you know the the I don't know the bones are right. Engine's not exciting, but yeah, I'm know, just whatever. I've not been a fan of of that platform since owning one. Mm-hmm. I, I was reading uh, a comparison between Triumph Scrambler and Ducati's new Scrambler. That <laughs> wasn't a fair fight. No, that was not a fair fight. It makes me want to try to test ride the, the Ducatis now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, all they said, they said it's a wicked fun bike. Yeah. I'm sure that's what it came down to. Yeah. I think there's plenty of other wicked funner bikes you could get for similar money or less, but, you know. Yeah, it's what you're in for, right? But it's a pretty looking sidecar for sure. You know what I'm going to get that's wicked fun? What's that? This. You want a reverse trike motorcycle unique, thank God. <laughs> so I think what they actually did is they photoshopped together a dune buggy and back half of a Goldwing. Runs and drives good. Bullshit. Very eye-catching. True. Not in a good way. So you know what my favorite part about all of this is? Yeah. My absolute favorite part? They left the windshield on the Goldwing. They did. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the front half of a Baja buggy and the back of a goldwing uh-huh wow man so someone could sit on the goldwing um wow that would be an awful awful thing <laughs> but yes i believe you so. get two people in the in the it, it still has handlebars too yeah it does so could you i but you wouldn't turn there <laughs> you, could you try <laughs> uh i'm assuming they're fixed to something now is that where you put your not not so quick cousin and convince him he's riding a motorcycle Yay! could be yeah i'm on a motorcycle that is that is a strange strange thing someone had an idea someone had an idea and they really it's another one of these ones where like what the hell were you thinking but 
Man, whatever he, you were thinking, you you really he puts, took the time to do it. He engineered the crap out of that. He thing. did. He engineered this. It's got a radio thing. Well, of course, it has a radio. Well, yeah, of course, it has a radio. You can't make a three wheeled this thing without a radio in it. I mean, can you imagine going down the street in this thing without tunes? <laughs> what a load of crap! I just. Yep. And it's street legal, I presume. Yes. Yeah, what, what, what it has a license plate. I the, guess it's registered as a motorcycle. This is another one that I just I look at and I, I shake my head because you've got a Goldwing whose front end is boogered. You know what that says to me? It hmm. says put a new front end on the Goldwing and make it push a sidecar. Nope. Nope. <laughs> We're gonna put a new front end on the Goldwing that is a buggy and make it push the buggy. <laughs> Sucks for you, Todd. <laughs> what Jump. kills me about this is he wants $12,000 for it. Well, you know, in, in fairness, all the paint matches, and, you know, um, there's half of two okay machines, so he... Uh, Great, so it, he shined up two turds and <laughs> smashed them together. <laughs> but they're very shiny turds. <laughs> I mean, realistically, that's like, that's like the front two-thirds and the back two-thirds of two turds, which is, you know, that's like a four-thirds turds. No! Uh, no. It, it's it's more turd for your money. I'm not seeing any seatbelts. I don't feel safe. <laughs> more turd for your money. <laughs> uh, no. Wow. So that's that's the thing. Four third turd. Four third turd. Four three turds. No. I just get no. it all the time. Where is it? Where is it? It's in Minneapolis. No. <laughs> Never come to Utah. Please. <laughs> Stay away. Christ. Uh, so... We have a new department here at Wheel Nerds. Do we? Yes, it's called Fuck You Hipsters. Fuck you, Chuck. I'm not a hipster. Oh, sorry. What's hipstery about me? Uh. I don't get to any fad on time, much less before <laughs> anyone else. That's a fair point. <laughs> I, I I am a middle-aged <clears throat> father. <laughs> hey, guys. Guys. Hey, I heard this from school now. <laughs> I bought a chopper. <laughs> Fuck no. This is Scott sent us this. Thanks, mm-hmm. Scott. This is a uh, all I can say is fuck you hipsters. An electric Kickstarter is what the world deserves. And this isn't kickstarter.com. <clears throat> this is a Kickstarter. And there is a note that says this is a thing you can actually buy for $542. What? Yep. What? It's a kicky thing that wires into your ignition. <laughs> it's a button you push with your foot. Um. So you can kick your sportster to life. Uh, now, if you were if you were disabled in some way, maybe. No. Then you just move the button. <laughs> but you want to be authentic, man. Yeah, so you need a Kickstarter that's on a bike that doesn't have a Kickstarter. Yes. Because that won't make you look dumb. No. My God. Yep. An electric Kickstarter. Yep. Esteves, yeah, that's a, that's a hipstery noise, will sell you what's essentially a few wires linked up to a chrome bar that lets you, air quotes, kick, except you can't actually kick it because there's probably no clutch in it. Your sportster to life. Um, wow, man. Yep. That. Yeah, they note they note that you can have things like uh, next things that are coming are hand window cranks with an actuator that controls the motor for the windows. Except that's already a thing. Yeah, fake carbs that hide fuel injectors, Thruxton. 
Choke knobs that attach the ECU to make it rev higher just after you start the engine. Also Thruxton. Yeah. <laughs> the Thruxton has that. Thruxton. <laughs> Oops. What's is that the choke? Apparently yeah. they're selling this to the wrong people. <laughs> they need to sell this to Triumph. They should have made this for the Triumph. They, yeah. they would it would go like you know, and then you put it on the Triumph and you say, This is the brace yourself, Chuck. Hold on to something. All right. The Steve McQueen edition. <laughs> Sit down. Stay. Put put the wallet away. No. Put it away. Take my money. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. Does it come with a jacket? Yes. Like the one from The Great Escape? Yes. I'm taking off my pants. <laughs> You'll need your new Steve McQueen pants. <laughs> I am in the wrong damn business. <laughs> you That's should all I can say. You need to send an email to... These Remember things. all the things that were really shitty about older bikes? This has them all. Only it's electric, so it'll actually work every time. <laughs> and you can pay for it. If you want super authenticity, you need to pay the extra hundred bucks for the authentic style Kickstarter, which won't kick the first few times and can actually detect how many people are watching. <laughs> and based upon that, it will take more kicks. Uh, that's clever. Yeah, that makes oh, you look hardcore. That is. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Let's go to the other side of the of the spectrum here. The not at all Kickstarter side of the spectrum. The not at all Kickstarter side. So, KTM's got the Super Adventure coming. Oh out my this God! Year. Yes, the the the. Now, the interesting thing about it is it it feels like it's like it almost has like "fuck you, Ducati" written on the side of it. It clearly has "fuck you, Ducati" <laughs> and "fuck you, BMW." Har har har! I mean, <laughs> this granted, is a giant middle finger. <laughs> yeah, power wise, the funny thing about it is if you look at the power, it's. It, not too far off of either of the others. Yeah. But it's still got all the, like, don't kill yourself computers. It's, it's got nannied all... to the fucking gills. Top it's, to bottom. It's, it's got, got nanny something stuff. something neither one of those bikes have. Uh, super nanny. Super duper nanny. Uh, uh, has, at your age nanny. Uh, it has something that my car has that you made fun of me on for has. nonstop when you found out oh about it. Oh, my God. Does it have the I'm bad at clutch clutch? Yes. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. A computer-controlled hill-assist clutch. Clutch is hard, so I'm going to get on a 160-something horsepower bike. It will detect you being on an incline and hold for you for like five seconds. Ladies and gentlemen of the audience, if you're incapable of making a smooth hill start, do not fucking buy this bike! <laughs> Jesus Christ, you have no business on a bike like this if you don't have the clutch control to make it go on a hill. <laughs> you have to buy it and you leave the computer and I'm a fucking idiot mode. Start to finish, which gives it the power of a Ninja 250. Yeah, yeah, but you you dropped 20 grand on it. Like two zero? Yeah, two zero. This bike wow. kitted out with the bags and stuff, mm-hmm. it's over 20 grand. Holy to oh. me, this bike is is like just another piece of evidence to the pile of evidence we have already that the ADV bikes have su- right supplanted, supplanted the chopper as oh, yeah. the the niche rich guy. I've got too much money bike. I need the super duper 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 one. Did you get the one with the computers that it doesn't kill you? Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we had the GS. Now then we had the GS Adventure. Then mm-hmm. we had the KTM Adventure. Now we had the KTM Super Adventure. Yeah, and the, and the the KTM eleven ninety adventure is 
outlandishly powerful already. Yes. And full of computers that keep you from killing yourself. Well, now this has one that helps your clutch. Really don't kill you. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my Helps you clutch, God. Todd. If you need help clutching, you should not buy this bike. <laughs> Straight up. If you need help clutching, it is time to buy a Ninja 250 and learn clutching. You know, I saw this bike and I was just like, holy shit, this is a $20,000 bike. And I was bitching about $15,000 in the SX. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> well, let's be fair. The SX, he would have rolled backward on the hill and hit somebody. Oh, that's dangerous. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn. You can't be trusted with anything. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have hill assist clutch. Oh, heavens. <laughs> Uh, you know... I have smashed into everything, and I, my car exploded! <laughs> if only I had hill assist clutch, I'm suing someone. Someone at KTM thought that scenario through and was like... No, someone at KTM thought, rich asshole, buys a bike, <laughs> takes it out, and it stops on the side of a dirt road to take his picture... 300 feet from the road, because there's a view of the mountains 300 feet from the road, he can take it in front of him and be like, look how tough I am. Adventure. And he gets back on the thing and it rolls backward and he goes off the cliff and fucking dies. <laughs> That's the scenario. <sighs> That's it right there. Oh my god, I, just, I tried to clutch, but I failed. I, I'm just going to throw this out there. How do I motorcycle? I'm, I'm just throwing this out there. How I can bike... That this is the same KTM that wouldn't sponsor uh, McGregor and and Borman. It was before they had all the "you're a fucking idiot" things. On it. <laughs> Hang on, we're just going to switch this. Can I change that switch? No. <laughs> you leave that switch alone. You never touch that switch again, <laughs> ever. This is a, that same company. We're removing the switch. Like you guys aren't adventure enough to we're, be able to. We're do leaving this. the switch there. But uh, you know, here's this bike. Well, keep in mind, Kate. K- the thing about KTM for a long time was KTM was utterly un <laughs> uncoddling of the people. Yeah. Charlie's Charlie super motard, he got on, went into a parking lot and promptly biffed it because he grabbed a big handful of brakes because he was used to the kind of mushy brakes on his speed triple. Yeah, yeah. Or his sprint, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, you know, I got on the thing and I felt the brakes. I was like, these are the most amazing brakes ever. I want to sex them up. <laughs> because the thing about the brakes on the super motard was they were insanely strong, but they had perfect feel. Okay. So if you if you're used to doing the brakes by feel rather than by you know learned rote, yep. they're the most amazing things in the world. Which made KTM's just a fucking hoot to ride. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was is anybody who wasn't used to you know adapting to different bikes mm-hmm. would just <laughs> trash them all the time because you know. Well, now there's there's probably a setting for that. <laughs> a setting. For, <laughs> only rode one other bike. <laughs> what was your other bike? Ninja 250. Please press three. Oh my god, I'm having a flashback to the 90s. Remember the little panels of dip switches you would just set on like printers and stuff? Uh-huh. Is that, or is that before your time? Uh, before my time. Okay, it'd be, uh, like on a printer or any sort of peripheral. Mm-hmm. You would, there'd be this box of tiny, tiny, like millimeter big I'm switches. With dip switches. Okay. Then you know the row of them then, right? Mm-hmm. You just have to set like this whole series of them to like set up a code that would tell your computer what printer and mm-hmm. oh my god that's what I'm envisioning with this thing it's like before you ride this bike now you gotta go open up this panel set all these tiny little switches no 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 I'm it has to say asshole detector in the seat <laughs> <laughs> asshole detected well it does have heated seats well it better fuck <laughs> heated seats for twenty thousand dollars it better massage my rear end for twenty thousand dollars <laughs> I, I, I've noticed you. You seem uncomfortable, sir. Hold on. Ah, oh, very 
miles. <laughs> I can go another hundred miles. <laughs> it blows you. <laughs> I, I, I What's this to, cup thing right here? I want, oh, it, I want yeah. it to fuel itself up, uh, <laughs> change its own oil, <laughs> fill up its own tires with air. I mean, produce, on and on and on. Produce the pastries. Yes, produce donuts. <laughs> right now, I could kind of go for a Danish. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> this bike. <laughs> I don't feel so bad about dumping twenty thousand. You know, you know, if you eat enough pastries, it'll eventually pay for itself. <laughs> no, it won't because it only uses the KTM brand pastry kit. <laughs> you have to go to the dealer. Pastry recharge kit. Yep, you gotta go to the dealer. I need, I need a frosting recharge. <laughs> of course, you do. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> do you also want us to add the new suspension setting for eleven? Yes. <laughs> I'll be like, Todd, when did you get the, the dual color uh, suit there? It's one color. It's only one color. The rest is frosting. <laughs> and sprinkles. <laughs> There's sprinkles now, Chuck. You don't understand. I had to get the ultra adventure for sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That's coming, isn't it? Yep. The ultra adventure. <laughs> sprinkles. Mega adventure. <laughs> GS, GS mega. That's 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 the next area I think of competition for these super expensive rich guy bikes. Is auto pastries? Auto pastries. All right. I like it. Auto pastries are coming. I love it. I oh, want it now. I'm okay with that. A, a sufficiently compelling auto pastry system would be the killer app for a bike for me. That would be a a big technological advance. I think it's an advance whose time has come. I'm I'm on board with this. I want a bike that makes me fatter <laughs> get in my belly no we have a guest this week to Ooh. talk about a technologically advanced bike company with or without pastries without okay and we're on with uh joe susa right yep that's right joe susa he was one of the filmmakers behind uh the ragged edge the uh an american comeback story yeah. of, of a sorts so you made this this documentary about EBR and Eric Buell. Right. And I'm just going to ask you up front the, the million-dollar question. When did you find out, and what kind of oh shit moment for you was that? Oh, man. It was, uh, like, I, you know, with everybody else, it was uh, a contact of ours out in Wisconsin sent us the, uh, it was the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal article. It was, like, I think, you know, maybe 11 a.m. for us. Mm -hmm. and. It was just such classic Murphy's Law. I couldn't even believe it. We had, uh, we've been following, you know, we've been tracking the story for five years and we had tried to stop, not, not try, you know, we had, we had looked for a way to end the film a, a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Um, and every time we did something kind of, something else would happen. And so and we kind of kept following the story. And, uh, so, you know, we had finally gotten to a point where we had, we had finished filming. We felt good about where we were at. We felt good that it reached a natural, a natural end and a, and a good climax. And, and we were proud of the film we had. We had a deal that we made with PBS and, uh, you know, it was looking good and, and we were excited. And, uh, I mean, the strange thing was we were, you know, actively talking back and forth with, with Eric and his, his PR team, you know, and just literally the day before that Tuesday, um, we were, we were going back and forth on emails and, and we had a couple of his PR folks had, you know, said how much they loved the film. We had, we had sent them an early cut a couple of months back and they, they gave us a few technical notes. 
mm-hmm. and we had made the changes and sent it back to them. And, and, uh, you know, they, they were just loving it and, and, uh, you know, happy that we had made those changes, uh, to kind of get everything right. Um, and that was like the night before. And then we were talking about different social media things that we're going to do and all this other stuff to, to kind of promote the film. And then the next day, you know, we got forwarded this note with this email and it was, Bars it was away. Wow. yeah, it was crazy. It was a, it was a complete oh shit moment. And I forwarded it to Matt, who's, uh, he's my co-producer and co-director. And we just kind of just sat back and, uh, you know, I was literally slack shot for like an hour trying to phone, you know, I was trying to call everybody I knew. We, we called a couple of our, uh, couple of the folks that, that we knew from the factory floor and, and you know, we just didn't believe it at first. Mm-hmm. I was like, this can't be possibly true. I mean, literally no. we got uh-huh. these notes from, from Eric yesterday. Like there was just, there would have been some indication. I mean, they would have at least ignored us. Right. That's what I figured. You think So, uh, we, but you know, sure enough, we called up and that was the, that was actually the saddest thing. We called up, uh, you know, uh, Jason Hayes actually, who's one of the guys in the, in the film. If you guys checked it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that dude's just been through so much over the last couple of years. Um, kind yeah, of his, his, his story is very poignant in the, in the documentary. Yeah. And so it was, uh, it was pretty crushing. I was like, you know, I was like, he was, you know, it was crazy. It was, it was basically like this really happened. He was like, it happened. And he gave us the whole story of, uh, how it went down. And it was just, uh, it was definitely a different kind of thing. It sounds like it got, it caught everybody by surprise, including Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was definitely very different than the uh, the last couple times that this has happened, which is a you know kind of a funny statement to make. But uh, you know, this was you know we there's details that are still coming out. I wish I know you guys probably want me on here to give you some sort of inside information about about what's what happened and how it all went down. And I have trickles of things but i mean you know really nothing more than has already been kind of reported and speculated in a couple of different places um and uh you know we can which i'm happy to talk about but you know for the most part it's uh it was just it's just a terrible situation it sounds like there was a deal that everybody was counting on that didn't go through yeah and uh you know that's what happened okay all right. So now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the question that we usually ask at the beginning of these things. Who the hell are you? That's so. My name's uh, my name's Joe Souza. I'm a I'm a filmmaker, uh, television producer, commercial producer, director, depending on kind of what day you're uh, you're catching me. Um, and I've been working in the business for about ten years. I've done a lot of documentaries for PBS, uh, a lot of reality television. Um, a lot of stuff for Discovery and uh, Animal Planet and the like. You can go on kind of Internet Movie Database, IMDb, and check me out, see some of the stuff I've done. Um, and I guess, I mean, it, it was actually through my television work that I came across Eric and his story. Uh, so a couple of years ago in uh, it was 2010, I was producing a History Channel show, kind of a wacky, totally wacky sort of engineering macho show crazy thing called Sliced, which okay. featured a host that literally sliced things in half to see how they worked. Because, you know, how else are you going to figure out if something works besides mm-hmm. slicing it in half? Right. Sure. Um, so it was it – was, I did that to Todd once. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so we, we – 
we were putting the show together and we were, we were pitching around a lot of different ideas or what can we slice in half. And, and somebody at the time had the idea, Oh, we should slice this. It's a Buell bike. It's really cool. It's, it's, uh, it's got this fuel in the fuel in the, on uh, the frame system. And that'd be really cool to slice open and reveal and show how the system works. And, uh, so it was like, yeah, that was a great idea. And we ended up kind of reaching out to Eric and says, so, so I ended 2009 and, and, uh, I was going back and forth with them just in the context of being a, a television producer and uh, and we were setting up what we we're going to do and he was into it and it, it sounded like a great idea. It was going to be super fun. And then, you know, total radio silence. It was all some crickets. I, I just stopped hearing from him, um, which is, you know, not the most unusual thing for a TV producer. Um, and so I just figured, all right, this guy's kind of smartened up. He doesn't want us to you know, destroy his bike on national TV on the History Channel. So fair enough. And then, you know, that was probably September, October. And then it was like a couple months later, I guess, or it was, it was really kind of later that month in November of 2009 that the video came out and uh, all the news started breaking that Harley had basically just kind of shit canned them. And, uh, and it was, you know, I started reading up about it and it was, it was a pretty tragic story. Um, at the same time, my producing partner, a guy who I've done a couple of different films with, he was out in uh, in Wisconsin. He actually had started turning toward a uh, an academic career and was getting his PhD at University of Wisconsin. And so I, you know, I still had Eric's email and uh, I, I hit him up. Maybe it was like January, and I said, "Hey, I I'm just kind of curious what you're doing over there. I was sort of interested in finding a story about the economy. I mean, this was 2000. You know, it was it was right in the midst of the recession of 2008, 2009. Um, I wanted to find something I could kind of sink my teeth into that was that was looking into what was going on um, with the uh, with the recession that was growing increasingly desperate at that time." And, uh, this seemed like an interesting in, and, and that's when Eric started responding again. And, uh, and he came back and he actually said, is your show still happening? We'd still love to slice a slice of Buell. So that was kind of like, all right, well, yeah, sure. We actually have, <laughs> we have, a, we have a, an episode we're trying to fill. So we ended up working with him on that. And I, um, mm -hmm. you know, talked more with Eric and ended up meeting Jeff May and, uh, and the race team. And, uh, we, we, you know, got cool on that show. And then basically I parlayed that into, into starting to follow him around the, uh, the factories. He started trying to reopen. He started basically trying to launch EBR. Okay. So at this point he's at EBR is just, just getting started. Cause in, in the documentary, it looks like you're, you're there where, you know, they don't even want to turn the lights on because it costs money. Yeah, totally. It was, it was, yeah, that's when Matt started going down and it was early 2010 and that's exactly right. They were renting out part of a space. Uh, they didn't even. They, they were they were getting a lot more of the space actually than than they had technically rented out. It was just the guy who was renting out the space was pretty cool, and there wasn't anything else going on. I mean, if you guys remember 2010, I mean, it was just it was it was desolate. It was pretty pretty nasty for everybody who was in manufacturing, and, and including all the landowners and and uh, and factory owners and people that rented out space. So. So they kind of gave Eric uh, the the space on, as kind of a, a, on a pretty good deal, but yeah, he was, you know, it was it was pretty much hand to mouth. They were he was he was funding it with his retirement money, um, and uh, you know, little what little money he could get from kind of some friends and family type investors to just try to keep it afloat, basically. So, you know, that was that was how it was. It was it was pretty wild. <laughs> What made you guys want to do a thing with, with about EBR and about the Buell? We started out, as I said, I was really just looking for a, a story about the economy. I was, I was just 
fascinated with what was going on at that point and where things were going. And, and it was, like I said, at that point as a storyteller, it was like, how bad is this going to get? I mean, it looked like it was, we we're just going downhill fast. So, so it was opportunistic almost. It was somebody you knew. It, it was, it was opportunistic. And then Matt was out and like I said, my, my co-producer was out in Wisconsin. So it's, it's sometimes, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of one of my philosophies about life is sometimes it's not so much what you choose, it's what chooses you. And it just felt like this was kind of choosing, choosing us. And so we started following it along. And then the more I met Eric and the more I got kind of into who he was and, and his whole deal, I was, you know, totally into it. I mean, I'm, you know, he, he was just a fascinating as a, again, as a storyteller, it sounds funny to say it this way, but, but he was a fascinating character. Um, you know, he was a, he was a great person. Um, and he was, but he's complicated. He was a really complicated guy. And, and he was, I, I just felt like there was a lot more than met the eye when we, when we started hanging out with him and, um, not, not in like a bad way or anything, but just that this guy, there's a lot to him. And, uh, I just wanted to explore that. And, and so we just kind of kept following along with what, what he was doing and, um, you know, basically checking in every couple of months, going out there, shooting little interviews with him, shooting little bits with him. And he was pretty open to it too. It took him a little bit to totally get our trust. But when he saw where we were coming from, we had just finished a film. Um, actually we were in the Palestinian territories doing a film about a, a Palestinian news agency that had, uh, that, that was basically the only independently operating Palestinian news agency. Most of the other news agencies are operating under Hamas or Fatah. And he just thought that was far out that we would go and do that and find this this kind of you know group of people that were sort of independent voices in the, in the wilderness when it came to media. And I think he was into that because that's kind of how he sees himself. He's kind of this independent, rugged guy, kind of out there on the fringe in some ways, you know, trying to be the only American sport bike manufacturer and 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 you know having these trying to espouse these particular values of innovation and and manufacturing and and um, you know it was. You know, so I think he he sort of thought we were far out. We thought he was pretty far out, and it and it made sense. And he let us uh, tag along for the ride over the last five years. So, do, do you think that kind of far outness about Eric is what creates that sort of cult around his stuff? I mean, his bikes are cool for sure, but it it feels like there's almost this cult of personality that's built up around him, and it, it kind of goes to the bikes. Did you feel that when you were there? Yeah, definitely. I mean. I felt like, you know, I, I, I totally know what you're talking about. I mean, you hang out on the web boards and, and you go to a couple of the Buell rallies and stuff like that. And we've met enough of these, these folks that they're, they're so into it. It is, it is interesting. So it, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, it's something that's, it's pretty clear about the people that are, that are really into it. I think, and yeah, I think it is, it's something about, it's something about, you know, the bikes for sure are awesome. I'm not, I'll, you know, I'll confess right here that I'm not like a, a huge motorcycle guy. I learned a lot about motorcycles over the, the course of this, this, uh, this film. And I have a tremendous appreciation for motorcyclers and, and, uh, motorcycling is an art and motorcycling is like a really cool thing and a good wait, thing to do. Wait, um, wait, yeah. wait, do you ride? Not, no, I don't ride. All right, this, this interview is over. over. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was afraid of that. I was like, I to them. I was like, I have ridden, but like to say I ride is like I have friends who ride, so like they'll be listening to this. You're riding on the back, weren't you? I've well, I've I have I have ridden before, but I'm not I'm not a rider. Let me, let me give you a tip. Right? 
Make sure you don't say motorcyclers again. (laughs) Okay, yeah. There's bars in California that'll get your ass kicked. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, all all the cards are on the table. I'm a wussy Northeast guy, so, you know, just get that out I hate those Northeast guys. Those damn new age. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, so, talking about Eric just a little more, that we, we will, in the spirit of full disclosure, Chuck is one of those people. I am. Um, cool. That's why you're here. So what is? So what got you into it? The first, I mean, that, that's because that that was always the thing of like hearing like the Buellers like their first story. I mean, what got you into? In what got you wrapped into the whole culture right from the beginning? How did I drink the Kool Aid? Yeah. <laughs> Someone might have told him there was a cool bike that was sort of cool, and he should check it out. It was yeah, it was the Ulysses. Yeah, you, you were the one that showed me that. Yeah, I showed you the bike, and then I went and looked at that used one for you. Uh, at the HD. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, I, 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 I was, I've always been drawn to the idea of the outcast, the, the little guy, the, the fringe player. So the idea of this bike, a sport bike sitting in the middle of a Harley dealership that does things with like fuel and whatnot. Wait a minute. Did you just say you got into fuel because you're a hipster? No. I didn't say I got into it before anyone else got into it. <laughs> I don't drink PBR. So did you get a chance to kind of interact with the, the I, I don't know what else to put it, the Buell people as you were? Oh, yeah, yeah, Buell. yeah. You know, especially at, uh, you know, we'd, yeah. I don't want to say, like, there are a lot of them are my friends now, too. So it's, it's a, you know, they're, they're, they're awesome. <laughs> and they're folks. crazy. So like, and I've had interventions. Especially, you know, a lot of the races that we went to, too, we, we, there was kind of like the, the Buell crew. And we'll still be out someplace. We know kind of who the Buell folk are. Um, and it's, it's cool. And I, I think, I think you're right. Um, Chuck, that it's basically these guys are, you know, there's something about it it goes, it's, it's the bikes are really cool. And it's something about the bikes. that's really cool. And the innovation and the innovative ideas and the bikes are really cool. But then there's this other kind of story that's underneath it that I think is really captivating. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things, I mean, certainly that we were drawn to as we kind of got into, into what into the film and, and into what we were what we were doing and telling the story was was trying to uncover just what that was what the what the sort of inner essence was that that Eric kind of represented because I mean look here I'm going to go kind of kind of big picture sort of this this might be a little too too out there but you know I really think Eric represents a very old school ideal about America and and about the idea that this is a country that's built by people who are who are rugged individualists who are innovative and who are out there taking risks and you know what sometimes they fail and in america's made up of a lot of people that had, didn't make it um, but they're still kind of the foundation of i think who we are as a country and i think bueller's out there i think there's something about that that they gravitate toward and and i think that's one of the big kind of attractions of, of sort of, if you want to call it the cult of personality that is Eric Buell. So, so I, I, I hope I didn't go too far out there for you guys, but, but I mean, that's, that's one of the things we thought about Eric when we were there. And, and when you put it up against the way that I think business is run right now in America, by and large, um, and this isn't me saying this, this is, you, you know, we talked to Clayton Christensen, who's in the film and he's a, he's an economist at, at the Harvard business school and wrote the innovators dilemma. And he talks about this at length, um, a little bit he touches on it in the film, but just the idea that the investment culture and the business culture in this country has changed so drastically where basically you don't want to, you know, it used to be that you put in 
a little bit, um, you know, you put in an investment and, and you let it grow and, and you wanted to create a stable uh, sort of, you know, return on your capital. Now you want to put in a little bit, you want to put in money and you want to just suck it back out as quick as you can. As soon as you turn any kind of profit, it's like everything is like investing in the stock market. So like if a company all of a sudden, you know, is worth $20 million more, well, you want your money back from it, you know, you, and, and that's that kind of that quick money in, quick money out kind of mentality. Um, and I think that's, it's just a landscape that I think people like Eric have just a tough time operating in because it, you need to have a certain level of, of cutthroatness, a certain level of, of just kind of, you know, nastiness to, to sort of to thrive under. That might be a little too cynical, but, you know, that's one of the things I think we saw when we were making the film. So now here's an interesting question then implicit in kind of what you're saying there. Do you feel like when Eric starts a motorcycle company, he's doing this stuff, he's playing a long game rather than this short profit game? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think so. I, I'd like, yeah. I mean, I think he is playing a long game, but I think, you know, he says it in the film. It, it's still, it, it, there's still something about the game where you gotta kind of be lucky. You gotta kind of have the right timing. You gotta have kind of everything line up for you, even even in the best of all circumstances. So even if you're playing a long game, I mean, it still might not not go right for you and and you could you could put all your chips down and say i mean you know what ebr and i'm no business expert or anything but i think you know what the strategy was like well you know it seems like the people that are buying motorcycles right now are kind of you know most for the most part in their sort of 40s and 50s and they're spending a lot of money on harleys so maybe i can go after that market segment instead of maybe trying to say like well maybe i should go after you know, a market segment of people in their 20s that only have like, you know, five to 10 grand to blow on a motorcycle, you know, mm -hmm. so he made a, he made a strategic move, I think with EBR and, you know, maybe it, that just didn't really work out so well. I, you know, I don't know, again, like, I don't know all the details of what happened, but I, I think, I think that's, uh, you know, so, so I guess that's a, that's a way of saying, I think, I definitely think he's playing a long game. I, th I definitely, you know, I believe that, but but um, even if you play the long game, you still, still, you still have to play the game. Yeah. In the documentary, with the the interview segments you guys picked with him, he comes across as very idealistic and kind of bitter about the way he sees the investment community, the way he sees business happening. Is that kind of accurate, or is that is that sort of like a drama you were trying to put into the documentary? Well, I'll put it like this: with anything like a documentary, I, I think. You know, there is there is an authorship there where where you know we've interviewed him for hours and hours, and and where we're picking out the sound bites, right? Sure. So, so you know, I don't I don't know if it's a matter of of being accurate or or, I mean, certainly I think it's it's definitely the comments that he said. I felt like were reflective of the times that we met up with him. Okay. Um, you know, and I think. You know, the comments, the early comments, which which tend to be kind of some of the raw footage. I think. He's pretty positive at the beginning, though. I think he's he's really, you know, he he's, he, you know, he's he's on the edge because he's he's basically got his own money in there, and then kind of in the middle, which was you know a lot of the main the main interview was kind of in the middle of everything. It was like twenty twenty thirteen, and that was when he had just had a bunch of money come in and come out really quick. And and I think yeah, he was pretty pretty pissed. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to say bitter. I think he was, I think he was just. He, you know, reacting. Just, yeah. I mean, what can you say? Yeah. It's, it just, it just sort of sucked. And when we came in, 
like there were so many times when we came in to film one thing and like it totally wasn't that anymore. Mm-hmm. So we were like, all right, the factory's open. We're going to fly. We're going to get in there and, and shoot a bunch of workers doing stuff. And this is going to be the end of the movie. This is great. And we'd show up and it's like it's all dark and there's no one there. Mm-hmm. And what the hell happened? And we have to call people and find out, oh, they lost all the money. So mm-hmm. the factory. It's all got set up. So, all right, we'll do another sad scene about the factory being empty. And like, you know, yeah. um, and, and I think, you know, and then when um, when all the hero stuff came in, I think he had a he had a different tune, but he was, you know, he was still definitely reacting. He was still pretty pissed about the way that just things were, were going. Because I think he did feel that. He felt like, man, if I made some kind of app or I mean, like, I think it is. It's hard right now for manufacturers in America, right? This isn't like a big secret or some sort of huge insight, right? Sure. I mean, we know that manufacturing is like, is, is, is basically losing year on year massive percentage points and has been since the seventies. So for anybody who gets into manufacturing, it's just a really, it's a tough, it's a tough landscape. And I think our investment community right now is just not educated, not speeded, not, not, not it doesn't have an attitude that looks at manufacturing the people that are coming out of business schools right now i mean they're looking for like tinder and facebook and and you know whatsapp and like you know wh- whatever what have you you know maybe two guys making a podcast you know they'll they'll invest in in something that has low overhead and not a lot of people but could potentially be something that they see as making billions of dollars before they want to invest in something that you know, is going to take 10 years to show maybe a five to 7% return year on year. And again, I'm I'm not an economist. So I I kind of threw bandy some of these things about based on what, what kind of I was told throughout the film. And, um, but, but I think that's it. So I, you know, I think, I think, yeah, I think it's fair to say that he was, he was kind of pissed about how all that was going. I don't think he was bitter though, because if he was bitter, he would stop doing it and he never stopped doing it. And I think he's, you know, that brings up an interesting point about the he would have stopped doing it, and, and I can understand investors wanting an immediate in and out, and they're they're you know they're all over the place. They're investors; you expect them to act like loons. The part that strikes me about it is that there's this emotional roller coaster: we're on again, we're off again. There's money, there's not money. It doesn't seem like a lot of people are going screw this. I'm not working here anymore. You don't you don't get that sense. No, I mean you know there's a couple of things like you know guys that. Uh... Here, I'll give you another kind of like far out. So last year I did a, uh, I'm going to, this will, this will come roundabout and hopefully this will make sense. But last year I did, uh, three, three films for PBS called Coming Back with Wes Moore that I directed. They were about returning combat veterans. And one of the things that I found about, about a lot of those guys is the thing about, you know, people would come back and, and, and they would have problems adjusting and, and the thing that that uh, struck me was that people were like, oh, they saw war and they saw horrible things and they're having trouble adjusting and all this other stuff. But the thing that I think all these guys told me that nobody really appreciated was like when they were serving, it was awesome. Like they were doing the coolest thing that they had ever done. They were they had huge guns. They were in tanks. They were just doing wild out there stuff. And there was this sense when they got back, they're like, oh, what am I going to do now? Like, what am I going to like wear a tie? Am I going to like have to get a job? Like what, you know, so that was, so in, in a weird way, you know, I actually saw something kind of similar with a lot of the folks at EBR. I mean, it, it was like awesome to work there. Like they'd get up, they'd be stoked. They'd be going and making, making motorcycles. Everybody liked each other. Everybody had like a common kind of culture. They'd go have beers after work. Like it was like, they couldn't get enough of each other. 
you know, it was, it really, it really had that culture. And I think that definitely, that, that came from Eric too. It was just this kind of, he really does. That's why, again, your question about being bitter, I'm really careful about that because the dude would like, he, he kind of in confidence to us, like share these things. But when he was with a, with a bunch of people, I mean, he was like a politician. He just oozes positivity Mm -hmm. and, and it's really infectious. And I think it's in his workforce. And I think people are really into that. Plus they're doing these really far out bikes. And everybody feels like they're part of it. And he makes everybody feel like they're part of it, whether you're, you know, the engineer who's coming up with the solution or you're the, the machinist on the line who's who's kind of who, who's kind of, uh, you know, uh, realizing that solution and kind of and kind of kind of putting it together with your hands. So so I think that that that's why everybody just kind of kept coming back. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people certainly after the, the first couple of times that they shut down, there were, you know, they were like, I'm never going to do this again. And I'm, you know, and, and, and kind of walked out and were angry. And I'm sure this time, you know, this is a whole different thing too. And I'm still, everything's, we're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on right now. But, I, you know, I'm pretty sure if he said he was turning the lights on again tomorrow, a lot of those folks would be, be right back there. Sure. How much visibility did you have into EBR's dealings with Hero? In what sense? Well, frankly, the whole hero thing feels weird because nobody knew it was coming at EBR. I mean, it, mm-hmm. clearly nobody knew it was coming. They all walked in one day and, oh, by the way, this is the thing now. Bye. Um, and then at the same time, Hero's showing all these signs of not being terribly healthy, you know, notably not paying Buell, but other signs of not being healthy. Was there was there a weirdness about that deal or did it feel like, you know, everything's awesome? This is going to be great. Totally legit. Nothing we're worried about here. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you're, you guys were filming them building like prototypes and proof of concepts. Did you get to see day to day dealings with Hero? Was it just they were Hero was somewhere kind of off, leaving EBR to do their own thing? We knew kind of, we knew early as Sean, maybe like maybe 2012, 2013, that that Eric was doing these. Um, these deals with different companies for, for outsourcing engineering. Um, and it was kind of one of these moves he had made with the company, which is, you know, a pretty brilliant move. We, we thought it was really, it was really an interesting thing. It was like, all right, I'm not gonna, it's going to be hard to just establish myself as a manufacturer and it's going to be, you know, hard to, to just kind of trying to bring the company back like this. But, but I know what I do have. I know I have a good engineering background and I know, I have a good reputation and I, I can spot a good engineer and I can give an engineer the freedom he needs to really thrive. So I'm going to have, you know, it was basically like Eric Buell's wayward home of, uh, of, of, of motorcycle engineers. And, and he assembled this team around him, which was totally top notch. And then he just started farming those guys out to do all sorts of stuff. So, so we started coming in that, that was like, again, 2012, 2013. And there were certain projects. It was like, okay, don't film anything in there. Don't look in there. And then we started noticing that like these, um, you know, Indian dudes started showing up, like, frankly, like Southeast Asian, Mm -hmm. uh, folks started kind of coming around. And so we knew something was going on and I can't remember when Eric told us because he couldn't, he wouldn't tell us in an interview, but, but kind of in confidence, like off camera, he started telling us that that you know this company was doing more and more projects with him, and it was looking you know kind of like they were going to strike up uh you know more of a relationship and stay tuned and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that that you know we so we sort of saw something coming and we sort of saw it coming, but it was always very kind of strange. We we didn't know like so this gets into other issues for us because we were just like well wait do we have to 
you know, there's off, we're doing a documentary. So there's obviously like kind of complicated rights issues and stuff like that. And basically we have Eric's blessing. So we're kind of just going through it. Like, all right, we have Eric's blessing. We can just do stuff. Now we were like, we, do we have to contact this other company? Do we have to find, you know, do we have to get different permissions? (laughs) Like, how's this all work out? I mean, you know, that might still be something that comes up later. I don't know, but, uh, but there it is. Mm. Um, but, um, but, you know, so we, we saw, we saw that, that kind of, that sort of beginning and, um, we didn't have, you know, much insight though into what was going on in the books or, or how exactly it was working. I mean, Eric seemed pretty, pretty stoked and pretty happy, but I know he was, you know, he, I remember him sharing one time, he was like really nervous when, when the money was coming through, if it was actually going to come through. I think it was just cause he had been burnt so many times by, you know, big and small investors. And, uh, but when, when it came through, it was like this huge thing. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think, I know for sure that, you know, when it all happened, they felt pretty stable. They felt pretty good. They felt like they were, they were kind of, you know, they were there and we thought they were there too. So mm-hmm. that brings up an interesting point. So you, your movie's coming out, it's all done. It's in the can, you know, it's being distributed. Um, and it turns out you missed the final coda, I guess. Um, right. Is, is there a director's cut you see in the future to kind of, fill the hole or does yeah, it stand up on its own right now you just have a couple title cards at the end saying ebr has gone into receivership right everyone's right. lost their jobs you know right the old the ultimate cop out right the title card yeah. uh later on the way back to his home planet and it was yeah. all a dream yeah 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 it's totally i mean you know so the answer is yes i mean we're you know, we're talking to everybody right now. We're just kind of, I, I think we're not, we're not news gatherers. Okay. So we're not like uh, investigative reporters or anything like that. I'm not going to go start, you know, Eric's, we consider him, you know, he's someone we admire. And, and, uh, even though he's, he's the film subject, I mean, we, you know, we consider him a friend and so I'm not going to go banging down his door before he's ready to talk to us, um, about what's going to happen. And I think in time we're, we're going to kind of, you know, get out there and, and, and figure out what, what all happened and what he's willing to share and, and, um, you know, see what the next step is for him. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, you know, plans in the works to kind of keep moving on, whether it's a coda to this, whether it becomes its kind of own thing, um, or, or some sort of separate piece that we do, um, later on, you know, if we have the film kind of online, I mean, it's interesting with documentaries now with the way technology is changing, you don't have to necessarily just distribute something on TV and kind of just lives there you know, you can kind of change it and morph it and can live online and we can distribute. And maybe it's, it's like a 10 minute short that we send to all the people that bought the film, you know, in a couple of months or like however long it takes, you know, and say, all right, here's the, here's what happens. And here's, here's kind of some other stuff if you want the rest of the story. Um, so that, that's one side of things. I mean, and the other side of thing though, is that, you know, with the film as it is, you know, looking at it, I mean, that, that was the thing that we really struggled with that, that week after we had called PBS and we said, look, this story's totally changed. <laughs> um, our sort of happy ending that we have on the end is like no longer accurate. What do you want to do? And in their attitude, um, which, which ultimately kind of is our attitude is like, look, it's a documentary. I mean, it's, it's you got to stop at some point and you got to end at some point and you just can't. You know, nothing, no documentary would ever really end if, if you had to keep updating the story, you know, unless someone passes away or something. I mean, really, you just don't, you'll never get it until, yeah. 
So you kind of have to make a decision. And I still, I still feel good about where the film stops as a film. And I think for people that don't have necessarily the inside information on, on EBR and on Buell um, and on the whole culture, I, I think it's a totally full film and I, I think it, it works. And I think, and, and we're getting, you know, some really good positive reception and we're getting, you know, awesome reception from all the Buellers and a lot of the, the motorcycle folk out there too, that are, that are checking it out. But, but y'all know that it's not quite the whole thing. Right. So that's, 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 uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's something that we're, we're, we're working on. Um, but, but it's, like I said, we're not, we're not like 60 minutes. We're not going to go just blast something together and, and kind of put it in and, and, uh, and, and, and put it to, you know, and do that. We got to, we're going to wait to see how we want to tell the story. Cause I think, I think we need to see how it fits in with everything else we've gotten, what it says, does it change anything? And it's like you, when you, when you do that, you also open up kind of a whole can of worms. It's like, do we have to go now revisit a lot of the other stuff in the film to make sure that the trajectory works mm -hmm. so that when we arrive here, it makes sense. And it's not just like everything is great. And then everyone's wrong. With right. Yeah. Were there any significant changes in, in the film that's out now versus the film as it stood before April 19th, whatever. It no, was. I mean, it, you know, okay. th these films are very slow. I mean, it's a big, slow moving boat. You know, you can't, mm -hmm. these things, especially because we, we had already, we had <laughs> like the day before we had delivered the cut to PBS, you know. Oh, okay. They, it was, it was, it had been locked for a couple of weeks. Uh, we were just doing, you know, it takes it once you finish a film, like, you know, it's a whole technical process of like you have to correct the picture, mix the sound, and, and, Take yeah. care of a lot of sort of the the nudniky little little things that you have to do to, to kind of get it over the finish line. Um, so, it, but as far as the story, the story had been the story probably more or less since like you know late February, early March. All of our competitor podcasts should now take note that post processing is important. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> take that, the pace. Absolutely. Here's a question for you. Why can't Eric talk about politics in his own house? Uh, we, we left a lot of Eric's politics out too. His politics are his, I mean, he's, they're wild. They're all over the place. It's really hard to like get it. He's kind of like a, uh. Cause that, that came up during the dinner scene with him and his wife. He, he's almost like a libertarian, but he's kind of like this egalitarian libertarian. I, it just it's it's like fits into no bucket and then he just if he gets started talking on something he's just he, he's just going and uh it can be it can go to pretty wild places he's you know we we loved it i thought it was really cool you know we we loved mm -hmm. talking about it. there was all sorts of crazy stuff we have in interviews of stuff, of stuff he's not you know not in like a good way like I, I don't mean that in a pejorative way at all i mean in a really interesting kind of entertaining way but but I think, uh, you know, I guess if you're married to him for however long, you know, for 20 years, then maybe that gets old after a while if you have to listen to it. Is there anything you wanted to bring up on your own that you want to cover? One of the things that we really wanted to highlight was also just East Troy as a place and um, that mm. particular corner of Wisconsin. And, and I hope that comes through in the film. And I think, you know, given everything that's come out in the last the last couple of weeks, you know, it's. It, it's a real it's a small community um and mm. and this is just a real huge blow to that community and they have yeah. you know it's it's interesting even now with like social media i mean you can really see it because 
kind of check up every once in a while to see what's going on. Uh, you know, and they have like the Buell, like the EBR workers have, like they formed a Facebook group and they're all trying to get each other jobs. And it's, it's just a really strong community of folks. And I think, so, you know, I think more than anything right now with all the stuff going on, it's like our hearts really go out. Yeah. There's a, there's a few people you follow specifically throughout the documentary, like Jason, I, I think his name yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of the one of the ladies on the line, Jason and Nikki, we we checked in with a bunch. Yeah, yeah. How how are they doing? How are they holding up? I, I talk, you know, I talked to Jason a little. I haven't talked to Nikki. I'm not sure how she's doing. So we haven't we haven't been able to kind of get in touch with her. But Jason is, um, you know, it sucks. I mean, he's still he's he's look. He's got you know he's he's got his wife and he's got great kids and and I, I think they're you know they're there's a great family, but. It's, um, you know, this is like the third time for him now, you know, because he was his original Buell factory worker and lost it and then was kind of out there and then kind of, you know, was doing this and that and odd jobs and just trying to kind of make ends meet and doing crazy commutes and all this other stuff to Milwaukee. And then EBR started back up and he was one of the first guys they hired back onto the factory line and he jumped in there and he was working there for a couple months during that that first time they fired up probably four or five months worth of work, something like that. And then all of a sudden, like the money, you know, the investor pulled out. So he's mm-hmm. down for again, a couple of months. And and then, or more than a couple of months, I guess it was probably like at least a solid year. Oh, damn. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, Hero's investment came in and they fired back up enough and then they they hired him to be a, you know, he was, I think he was a product buyer. You know, so he, he he was he was back up got back up working for them, and now he's you know yeah back at home checking the classifieds and the wanted ads, and it's it's uh, I mean what can you say? It's just it's it's brutal, and I think it's uh and it's he's he's a really. highly yeah he's a, he's a highly skilled worker too, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of folks like that, and uh, you know in in this part of Wisconsin, and, and I think in the Midwest, and you know throughout the country really, but I you know these these people have a they just have a lot to contribute, and there's just not. You know, it's it's uh it's difficult because those those jobs are just. I mean, one of the things you guys, I listened to a couple of your podcasts, to kind of figure out who you guys were. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I I was like, I was a little worried because Matt's got a background in comedy, so I was like, oh shit, man, you gotta you gotta help me out here. These guys are like, they're, they're gonna be making fun of me. But uh, but the uh, you know, one of the things that was interesting about your the one the the one you did about about the closing of EBR is there was I can't remember, you guys were having a discussion you were like is he in this to like to make the money or was or was he in this just to make really cool like motorcycles you know and and I think I think it's 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 certainly more uh, the motorcycle bit than to make money but but you know he's a businessman but I, you know one thing I think that that's important about Eric that I think comes through in the film is that I think he also just has a sense that he likes to employ people. You know, he likes to be that, that, that person that's creating that environment where there's people that are making a living and there's a community that's, that's thriving and, and he's, he's, he's taking part in it. And he certainly doesn't have the kind of, he, he's not an egotistical guy at all. in in that sense, like he's not, he's not someone who would ever, I think, say that I, but I, you know, we could just tell the kind of joy that he got from seeing all these people kind of at work and the fact that he could do what he could do, you know, and work his butt off so that in, in, in part of what he was doing was, was also creating this environment where all these other people were also working and together they were all thriving. So I think that's, that's definitely something that I think motivates Eric. That comes through in the documentary. There's a, there's a scene in there where he, he talks about being like one of the biggest employers 
in East Troy, and he, you could tell he's, he has a certain amount of pride in that. Yeah, absolutely. Now that you've, you've, you've been with him for like five years, you, you've covered EBR from, you can almost say from beginning to end. You, this, you've got this arc. As a storyteller, or as an outsider even, do you have a sense personally of what EBR's downfall was? Um, I, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. I mean, it could have been, you know, if you want to go, you know, you ask as a storyteller, if you want to go like kind of English class answer, you know, there's that Shakespearean thing where somebody's kind of the biggest strength can sometimes also be the source of their downfall. So, you know, it could have been that that Eric just they just expanded too quickly. You know, they were just too exuberant. Um, they got that investment, and maybe maybe they should have socked some of it away. I'm speculating, though. I don't know. Sure, this you is know, all I, just shooting. From yeah, the it's head. all kind of shooting the breeze. Kind I mean, of. That's all we've got, right? Right. No, no, yeah. <laughs> no one knows. No yeah. one knows. No one's talking. You know, so I I don't know. It could be. You know, it, it could have been that. It could have been. It, it could have been just the fact that. You know, oil prices went way down, and that had a huge impact on motorcycle sales over the last couple of years. I, I was just reading this article that, like, you know, people started turning back toward kind of gas guzzlers and stuff like that. And it had motorcycle um, sales have been creeping up from like 2009 to like 2013, and then in 2014, and then they started kind of creeping back down again as, as gas prices kind of plummeted. I mean, it could be just macroeconomics, you know, it, it, it's just could be a little bit of everything. Um, so it's, it's hard to, it's hard to know. It's hard to, it's hard to say exactly. Um, and it could have been that he, you know, it could have been, yeah, I, I heard some of the theories that been thrown around on all the message boards about hero and, and kind of, they, they tanked the company or, you know, so that they could kind of buy it up or, or it's some sort of, there's some other kind of business conspiracy theory and, and, you Fishman. know, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Fishman. You know, so it could be, but it could be something far out like that. It, it's, it's just so hard to know, you know, and I'm sure it, it's, and it's, it's like, I think Eric said early on in the film, man, it's, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta be good. You gotta be fast, but you also just gotta be lucky and you gotta have good timing and timing can just kill you. So it could have been that. So, so that's, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of all the, all the speculation I can, I can kind of get into really. Can you, can you get us an interview with Eric? <laughs> right after right after he talked you know i mean right eric after he talks, talks to anybody else anywhere <laughs> yeah yeah i don't i don't i mean eric take him a cake and you know put our name card on it i don't know yeah I'll, I'll 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 i you know i'll let him know i mean i'm not sure what eric's plan is right now i mean like i said eric's he's Heavy drinking <laughs> i i don't know i mean like i doubt it i don't think he's i think he's um i mean i think i know he's doing a lot of reflection right now i know he's just trying to he, he's all the questions you guys have asked me he's asking himself plus a billion others and um and he's trying to figure out what to do next uh He's still, you know, he'll pop us e like emails and stuff like that out of out of nowhere too every couple of days. So we'll we'll still hear from him. And and uh, he uh, on his Facebook post, he was kind enough to uh, to put out a, a word about the film, which was awesome. Um, you know, so we we still do hear from him. Um, and and you know, I think, but as I said earlier, we're just kind of, you know, we're not news gatherers. I'm not trying to just kind of go bang down his door. So we're just going to kind of wait till. Till he gets to a point where he's he's uh, he's he's comfortable starting to talk about it again, and then you know hopefully we can we can chat with him, and if he's comfortable, hopefully we can sit down with him, um, and that's that's kind of all we can ask. But yeah, but I, I will as soon as that moment happens, I will I will absolutely plug you guys and see if uh, see what he'll do. That'd be great. 
So the film is called The Ragged Edge. Yep. Um, you can go to raggededgefilm.com. Right now it's available on Vimeo, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, and anywhere else that people are going to be able to get it, or is that still kind of in the works? It's still kind of in the works. So the Wisconsin um, PBS kind of they did the uh, WPT kind of jumped on it, and they they're they're putting it out there, and it's apparently going to be on. There, there's it's it's looking like there's going to be a couple stations in Texas, and and hopefully something uh, a couple stations down in Florida, right? That that are going to be showing it it's kind of confusing to explain how the whole pbs thing works if you're not not a nationally broadcast show it's almost like a confederacy of station so it's going to start sure. popping up here and there and um we'll be announcing uh broadcasts on the website but yeah it's we're, we're we put it available on demand on vimeo yeah, um, for rental and uh purchase yeah rental and purchase and we mm-hmm. made you know it's an independent documentary so uh i know that it's kind of funny to sort of buy something off of Vimeo, but, but, um, you know, it helps support us and, and, uh, puts a little, put some pennies back in our pocket that we've been, uh, spending following the movie. We we really didn't get any support or anything from it. It was just something we kind of wanted to follow on our own volition. So just Your like ours all go directly into Joseph's beer fund. <laughs> well, yeah, they're like more like paying back everything that I took out of my beer fund. The Joseph's beer debt. That's right. There you go. That's, that's a more accurate way to put it. All right. Well, thanks for being on with us, Joe. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. I hope, uh, you know, that I think it's an awesome show. And thank you guys for having me. Appreciate the questions. Thanks, man. All right. So from this, I've learned Eric Buell, awesome boss. Eric Buell, worried about money. And Eric Buell, hey, guys, guys, come build cool bikes with me. Yeah. You guys. I get that, 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 that overarching sense. You know, yeah. no one ever actually comes out and says it, but there's this sense that he's like the little kid who's got this cool sandbox with lots of Tonka trucks, and he's like, you got to come and play with my trucks. It's fucking awesome. The problem is it's not his fucking sandbox, apparently. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he seldom he owns the sandbox. He's, he's like in somebody else's sandbox playing with cool trucks. Keep borrowing or, you know, having someone buy him a sandbox. And um, I tell you, man, when you watch the documentary, and I, I really do heartily recommend if you have any interest at all in EBR or Eric Buell, you watch this documentary. Mm-hmm. Go to Vimeo, rent it. It's a couple bucks. Mm-hmm. Buy it, 20 bucks. Um, this, the interviews they do with Eric are very, very interesting. He, he kind of fluctuates. We didn't talk about it with, with Joe, but he sort of fluctuates because this excited giddiness mm-hmm. to this sort of real kind of nervous, frantic, um, vibe he gives off especially when he talks about money in the company there's a point in the film where he talks about you know my racers are racing my builders are building my my engineers are designing everyone's doing their job here except me Hmm. i am failing at my job which is to get money to get money bring Hmm. money in bring in investment Hmm. he he talks quite a bit about how hard it is to get investment into a small manufacturer in america Mm-hmm. And how frustrating that is to him. Which is a totally different person and a totally different vibe from guys that build cool bikes. Hey guys. Hey guys. Hey guys. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and you, they show him watching, you know, Jeff May race and he's like a kid. Just, oh my God. Yeah. It's, hmm. it's amazing. Hmm. But just the, that whole business angle. You know, there's that, there's a, there's a saying. I'm going to butcher it, but there's a saying that goes around something along the lines of, if you really hate your hobby, 
turn it into a job. Okay. Or if you really want to hate your If you uh, want to hate your hobby, turn it into a job? Because my dad told me that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually where I heard it. That was that was like... Uh, if you want to hate your hobby, make it your job. I joked with him once about, hey, I should just, you know, do woodworking as and build furniture for a job. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's a quick way to hate it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I feel, honestly, that's kind of the feel. You know? I'm going to do a cool thing, I'm going to do a cool thing. Oh, fuck me, this is the job. Yeah. Huh. Except all the cool things that went along with the job that drove him. You know, well, that, that's what keeps people, you going. The the bikes. But just the business. He It almost seems like he needs a business partner. Mm-hmm. You know, not you're not just like a partner, but like a business dude, a dude in mm-hmm. a suit who's excited about business and manufacturing business. Yeah, he's got those kind of connections. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> Eric needs Eric needs the suit guy. Eric needs a suit guy. I'm Eric, and this is my suit guy. <laughs> he will do the rest of the talking for the evening. I'm, I'm going to be- talk about the bikes. Uh, what about the business? Hang on, suit guy. <laughs> <laughs> Tag it. Tag. I'm going to sit over here in the corner and eat these delicious pastries from my motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I, 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 and it's just so heartbreaking watching that film. Yeah, it's, it's almost, it's almost more heartbreaking when you, because it ends so upbeat it when does. you know the punchline. Exactly. Yeah. You see that guy, I love my job and everything's cool and I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, there's a, there's a guy with a knife right behind that door. <laughs> Little does anyone know. Little yeah, does yeah, anyone I... know. Yeah. And this, and the documentary covers the ups and downs mm-hmm. they went through. Of which there are a lot. And that's, that's one part that I still, you know, talks about the employees are really into it, even through the ups and downs. But like, at what point does that kind of up and down just make you nervous in general? And make it, make it feel like this is not a safe place to be. And I'm coming from, you know, I mean, I, I've got a new kid and another one on the way, so I'm like hyper risk averse. Right. But even, even when I wasn't in a risk averse mode and there were up years and down years, there were never that big a swing between up and down in the outdoor industry that I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Right. Up, you know, your down wasn't, I'm unemployed for 12 months. No, it was like take a two week furlough. Yeah. You know? You know, I, I don't know. I, and it, Another thing that it could be is, you know, East Troy, Wisconsin. And how much, how much employment opportunity is there? That's true. Yeah, when if you're, you're in a manufacturing mechanic, you know, mm-hmm. you got to suck it up and commute to wherever Milwaukee. Yeah, the hell away. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't know. It's a, it's a strange, strange you got this thing. Business, this job you really love, and it's super local, and it's right there. But it's a huge risk. I mean, maybe you're just like you know, maybe that's still path, enough. Yeah, path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. It's a job. Yeah. <laughs> well, today, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It's just uh, it's it's hard to watch the video or to oh, watch yeah. the documentary. Well, and the whole and the whole thing, the whole thing, still, you know, that the I I still don't think anybody had any freaking idea this was coming. There is no evidence to me that anyone even had an inkling. Yeah. That this was going down. Right. It's just, everything's, I mean, they're announcing patents the day before. Yeah. I mean, people, people aren't even like, there isn't even the silence you expect. Yeah. Before, you know, it goes tank. You expect like to see some weirdness and then like it sort of, ah, die. Right. 
This was just like click. Yeah, well, you know, Quentin kind of uh, tore us a, a little one on mm-hmm. the Facebook site saying, clearly you've never been laid off or been on a failing company, which I'm going to say right now, I've been laid off. I worked in the dot-com industry during the dot-com boom. I didn't get laid off. I just got out of college during the bust. I got laid off. <laughs> I, I worked for dot-coms that evaporated. <laughs> and, uh no, you don't always see it coming. Mm. You might... And especially if it, if, if this was a case of everything hinged on one thing, mm-hmm. how would you see that coming? Like you know, Quentin was kind of talking, I could see Quentin coming from like the idea of a, of a larger company gradually having its pipeline dry up, mm-hmm. having, you know, the sales falter, yep. the reductions starting and whatnot. But if it's just one, you know, every, everything's in one basket. Everything's on this one thing mm-hmm. we got to get. And now an interesting part of this is I don't know what the sales were before this. Well, I mean, and that's a piece of the puzzle I don't have. Were sales brisk? Were sales stagnant? I, I, I will tell you I've never seen an 1190 on the road. Yeah, I, I'm sure sh- sales were shit. Yeah. I mean, well, you know what? Shit's too strong a word. Sales were were... They were probably selling bikes, but nowhere near volume. Yeah, I mean the the kind of this kind of thing when you invest like this, you have to sell all the bikes. That's yeah. the nature of it. But I, I, you know, we talked about before. I, I, it's hard for me to see Hero dumping into this kind of thing, expecting that that quickly. Yeah, and that that this would have only been like what the second year the SX was out. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Something, there, there's, there's more to the story that'll be, it'll be interesting to see what shakes out. Yeah, it's. And you'll hear it not first, probably, on the <laughs> So I got the feeling that this was the kind of thing where they were expecting X million dollars at nine o'clock, mm-hmm. and at nine fifteen, they would have been paying a bill with it. Yeah. It has that kind of feel, doesn't it? And then at like nine thirty, the people they owed were like, well, <laughs> you're you're past your 360 days <laughs> or some shit. Yeah. Guess what? I don't know. I, it just it seems very sudden, very just. Yeah. I don't I don't think they saw this coming because probably by you know by all markers it was a poor performing company. Yeah. They weren't selling, which isn't, I guess, I guess, and the funny thing is that's not news to anybody. Right. I mean, this, everyone was kind of like, let's take the long view and that they'll build up to this and introduce more stuff and build their dealer network. And, mm-hmm. but you know, I guess it kind of goes back to what Joe was talking about in there. The, the, the attitude was no one wants to do that long, mm-hmm. slow workup. Yep. Well, long, slow, long, slow workup is incredibly risky. Yeah. They could have, you know, Kept pouring money and money into it, and, and mm-hmm. stuff would... Uh, yeah, until pieces are moving and there's an indication things are moving, then you're not... Oh, for shits and giggles today, I was looking at Hero Motor Corp stock price, mm-hmm. not since the close, but since last year. Mm-hmm. And they've been in the shitter for a while, stock-wise. Yeah. They've just been go- losing value since December 2014, November 2014. Hmm. Interesting. Just been going down and down and down. Hmm. So I wonder if I wonder if this is this is 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 the Buell closer shit rolling downhill. It could be. This could be like uh, what happened in two thousand nine, where you know 
Harley was watching money evaporate. And mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do we get rid of? Uh, Buell. Okay. Like heroes, they're blaming competitors. They're blaming the weather. They're blaming, you know, you look at heroes kind of financial stock stuff and what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all kinds of shit's happening. It's, we're not selling bikes. Even Honda's like getting on their case now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, not that they're the best of friends, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird. Heroes not in, not where they were last year. Hmm. Is the hero buying and doing all this investment and sketchy stuff? Is it, is it that the sketchy stuff is closing? Because, you know, let's be honest, Buell's a sketchy company. I'm not, I'm not going to mince words about it. Investing in Buell is investing in a potentially sketchy thing. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, there's something cool coming out of that place. Cool is not necessarily good business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And what was the other thing about Hero? They were diversifying a bunch of stuff. Ah, yes. Good old diversifying. A great way to feel bigger briefly yeah. before you implode. They were, uh, I forgot all what they were buying <laughs> up, but they were, they had their, uh, their eggs in a bunch of other baskets besides EBR. Yeah, diversification is good in some cases, but for a company, especially a company that produces things, um, you can quickly become shit at everything. What, one analyst, the, the analyst article I was reading that talked about it was saying it looked like they were kind of trying to hedge themselves against the motorcycle business not going so great. Interesting. Because, hmm. you know, they're, they're, at least up until recently, they were faced really with real aging technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the AIM show, that new 250 they had, that EBR design, looked way cool. Mm-hmm. The other bikes they had looked very retro cool. Mm-hmm. But they weren't trying to be retro. They were actually <laughs> retro. Yeah. They were actually old and crappy. They were actually old. So the Kickstarters you're saying were not electric. Probably not. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But, you know, I mean, it looked like, yeah, maybe we can get the hipster crowd here in America mm-hmm. with these bikes. But, eh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's, it looks like a lot of signs were pointing down for Hero mm-hmm. before this moment. And is the, this could potentially be fallout of it. Could be. Hmm. Yeah. And that'd be the first thing you wouldn't pay is the people who weren't making you money anyway. Yeah. So. Or, you know, if they, if they had like a separate contract with them to do the engineering on stuff. Mm-hmm. That would be an easy thing to be like, nope. Nah. <laughs> nah. <clears throat> Especially if your, bo- your American presence for that business boils down to one dude well, we somewhere can, in the Northeast. We can, we can, uh, not pay the Buell bill this time around and we can make it by. Yeah. Cause they'll close. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting how the macro and micro start to converge. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, again, we're all, we're just bullshitting. We're pulling stuff out of our, out of thin air. Who knows? You saying financial advice from wheel nerds is best avoided? <laughs> no, you know clearly a good investment option would be us. Mm. You yes. know what? We forgot to ask him. What's that? If he should make a TV show of us? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's two goobers sitting in a room talking yeah, to each other again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of motorcycle TV shows, best motorcycle roads TV. Yeah. What, what? Best motorcycle. They sent us an email. Yeah. Yeah. So just listen to the last episode. Very sorry, Chuck. Everyone is in mourning with you. We wanted Buell to work too. Regarding Polaris, one word, modus. I'm inclined to agree. That's the one I'd buy. Now that is a company they should buy. 
They do have a lot of really cool stuff. Well, the, Modus has one really cool stuff, in fairness. And Polaris has a lot of really cool money. Yeah. Um, you know, acquiring a company to get one really cool stuff is pretty much the way to go. My company acquired a company to get one really cool stuff from them. Um, and yeah. it works great. And that's typically, you know, if you know what you're buying, great. Yeah. You know, if you're just buying because it's, you know, what people do, that makes one wonder. Yeah, yeah. And I don't see, honestly, that Buell has one really cool piece of technology. Buell doesn't have the thing Polaris wants. Modus has that engine. They do. Which is absolutely what Polaris would like. Yeah. Because Polaris, keep in mind, is not just motorcycles. A small high-torque engine for the eight jillion other things Polaris does you know, the, 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 the thousands of redneck mobiles they yep. are cranking out daily, yep. um, would benefit from a small high torque engine. Yep. So, you know. But Eric put fuel, uh, fuel in the frame. Yeah. In that single disc brake. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, uh, the mass centralized thingy. Yes. I'm trying to imagine Joe Bob, who is not himself very mass centralized, <laughs> must be noted, riding on his Polaris Buell oh, redneck mobile. One tidbit from the documentary. Oh. Eric's filed, or Buell, Eric or Buell, whatever, filed like 60 motorcycle patents. Really? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. He, he, the dude's got a lot of ideas. Oh, yeah. I don't think that was ever a doubt. Yeah. I think what he doesn't have is a lot of profit. Yeah. Which sounds cynical, but at the same time, like, in order to make ideas real, you also have to make money. I feel like I'm talking to my engineers at work. Yeah. You know we have to make this make money, right? Guys, <laughs> please. So here's an outside question. Mm. How long do you see modus lasting if no one buys them? Not very. I mean, unless they've got a lot of capital already in, and even then they got to make their money back somehow. Yeah. Unless this is some rich person's pet project, I don't see them lasting very long if someone doesn't buy them. Uh, the only exception might be if they are selling the motor hand over fist. I don't see them selling a lot of the bikes, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. I don't think the bike's going to sell that much. Um, it's a rich guy bike. The motor? I could see shitloads of applications for and they could probably sell the hell out of that. And, you know, they alluded to that's, you know, kind that's of what they're thinking. That's where they're going which for, yeah. Which is, I think, smart, because yeah. I agree. There's a lot you could do with that. Yeah. And Eric was trying to sell his brain trust. Mm-hmm. That's That was his product, mm-hmm. other than the motorcycle. Yeah, which is, you know, exactly. What, how do you value a brain trust? What are you going to do with the brain trust, exactly? Yeah. You know, how are you going to turn that into something Since you can if, sell? That they don't already have something there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Eric, and I love him, and mm-hmm. it's so unfair. I'm going to take the heartless capitalist end here. <laughs> Say, I'm not sure that I currently have a customer need for an Eric. <laughs> yeah. Emily, who is not a spammer. No, oh, well, that's good. Writes to purchasing manager. Wait, which one of us is that? I think it's you. At the okay. Moment. Well, good day to you. Thanks for your time to read my email. Oh, yeah, yes. This is Emily Yin. She sounds pretty. Mm. From China. Ooh, prettier. We are a manufacturer who design and produce innovative items. Oh, I, I like innovative items. How do you solve those of shoes that are sticky and smelly after wearing several days or after sport exercise? Yeah, they might have targeted this at me. When we wear it next day, it is still cold, wet, sticky, and uncomfortable. Feel bad the whole day. Mm-hmm. To solve this problem, we design and make an innovative dryer and sterilizer. 
It is able to remove wet, sticky smell, odor-causing bacteria and fungi, etc. Make your shoes dry and fresh again within 20 minutes. Please let me know if you are interested in dating so that I can send you a leaflet. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I take it back. I think they might have been targeting this one at me. You know, it's a thing. I went to the website. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. It's a real stinky foot thing. Yep, it's this. it looks like a sh- kind of like a shoe tree. We should tell her that we can be bought. <laughs> Right, price is apparently $100. For the record, we can be bought for one episode. And, you know, if you send us the thing to try out, we'll shill it if it's good. And make fun of it mercilessly if it's not. But the the odds are more in your favor if there's money attached to that thing. We'll definitely shill it when we test and say it. that it was sponsored by it no matter what. Because it was, and that's an objective fact. We will also make fun of it if it sucks because that's also an objective fact. What have you learned, Todd? The only really solid investment you can depend on is beer. Specifically, Brickside Brewery beer from Copper Harbor, Michigan. Brickside Brewery. The best beer in the whole goddamn world. Beer none always pays off. Thanks, guys. You can't see us doing thumbs up, can you? <laughs> we totally are, though. That's all we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. Drink some beer! You can contact us at wheelnerds at gmail.com or leave us a message at area code 801-917-4136. Record an intro for our show of you and your bike, and maybe it'll be on a future show. Stickers and other merchandise is available at our website, www.wheelnerds.com. If you use iTunes or Stitcher, please leave a review for us. Hell, write our URL on bathroom walls if it helps. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheelnerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.